0: Hey, this is Zach Catanzaro. And I'm Walker Lukens. We're the hosts of Song Confessional, the only podcast where today's top songwriters turn your anonymous stories into original songs. This week, we've got a salacious tale of train platforms and anonymous hookups. Austin songstress Buffalo Hunt transforms the confession into a cinematic indie pop gem exploring the dark pleasures of our bad decisions. Listen to Song Confessional at KUTX.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: from KUT and KUTX Studios.
2: Hello and welcome to This Song, the podcast where artists talk about the songs that changed their lives. I'm your host, Elizabeth McQueen, and today we'll talk to two artists, Bob Boylan and Mobley, both of whom just released new work. Bob Boylan just put out a book called Your Song Changed My Life, and Mobley has a new EP out called Some Other Country. And yeah, I said Bob Boylan. You probably know him from NPR's All Songs Considered, a program that sorts through the vast ocean of new music to try and hit people to the best stuff out there. Bob is also a musician. He plays synthesizer and was in a band in the 80s called Tiny Desk Unit. Wait, does that name sound familiar? Of course it does. Bob also created the Tiny Desk Concerts for NPR. Cool connection, right? He also makes a record every February. In fact, he just released one with his band Danger Painters called Eight. And as if he wasn't busy enough, now he's a published author. His new book, Your Song Changed My Life, just came out. And it has the same basic premise as this podcast. In it, he talks to musicians about the songs that like the title states, changed their lives. He came to Austin during South by Southwest, and in between what I found to be an incredible schedule of music seeing, he sat down with me at the convention center to talk about his own mind-blowing musical experience that really changed everything for him. So here he is, Bob Boylan. So, Man in a Bathrobe, NASA Space Shuttle, and Bob Boylan on a couch with me <laughs> for South by Southwest. Well, welcome awesome. to Austin. Thank you. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, um, we really like to talk to people about songs that change them, because for a lot of people, there's like all the songs, like all songs considered. Then there's the favorite songs, like songs that you just love. And then there are songs that when you heard them, it like blew your mind wide open, made you see something new about music or made you realize something you wanted to do in music. Right. And, um, you know, I know you're a musician first. You, are, you come at this all from being an, ele- an electronic musician. Indeed. And so I would really love to hear about a song that kind of, you know, opened you up in some way. And it can be a song or a person or a record or a show, just like a musical experience.
1: Well, I mean, the funny thing is, and you know this, is that we had a very similar idea. And I just wrote a book on this very subject, so this is very <laughs> fortuitous, uh, and it's called Your Song Changed My Life, of which I spend, uh, I, I talk to 35 artists about a song that changed them, uh, and do interviews with them, and then uh, I take those interviews and think about the song they pick, the artists they pick, the music they make, and tie all those things together. So what we're doing here is sort of all of that. And you mentioned uh, something that blew your mind, and the song that my first, the first essay in the book, which comes out in April, is about a song with the line in it, which is, he blew his mind out in the car. And so uh, obviously the song then that changed my life is a song by the Beatles called The Day in the Life. <laughs> I grew up and watched and listened to the Beatles records come out and unfold as they came out, which is a very different experience for people uh, who listen to the records, maybe a greatest hits record or listen to the last record first, you know, Let It Be or Abbey Road, and then go backwards or randomly or just songs. But if you listen to the progression of Beatles records from the very beginning, listen to I Want to Hold Your Hand...
0: Oh, yeah,
1: I tell you something I think you'll
0: understand. Can I say that something I want to hold your hand?
1: And then only four years later, uh, make a record like Sgt. Pepper and make a song like A Day in the Life. It is totally mind-blowing. Music, unlike music today, where music does so many things and there's so much and so many different kinds of music, in 1967, in June of 67, when Sgt. Pepper came out, there was nothing that sounded like this. And so hearing something so completely different than anything you've ever, ever heard in your life is a hard thing to fathom in this day of quantity.
2: Well, I mean, now it feels like there is nothing but new and noise coming at us all the time. Like the digital age is just kind of like this, like a wave of information crashing over you. But at when you were, and how old were you when you heard this?
1: Uh, I was 14 years old.
2: When you were 14 years old, like um, pop culture was much more centralized. And like, I guess you would say like homogenized in a way. Like there just weren't that many outlets for it. And there weren't, music was actually kind of hard to, come by, like, to, to get access to in the first place and then to buy. So...
1: I mean, I, yeah, saying that just reminds me that uh, there were probably 50 albums you knew every year um, in 1967. I get that in my inbox in one day today. Easily. Good morning. A mind-boggling difference. So, there were very few gatekeepers in those days, so AM radio, there was no FM radio in 1967 to speak of. It was sort of starting to happen. Uh, And so there were very few places where you would hear an album. You would simply hear songs. One of the things the Beatles did on Sgt. Pepper that was groundbreaking is they made a record with no singles. It was not a, a 45 from that record.
2: Was there not? Like, not even...
1: Nothing. Uh, what they were doing was breaking all the rules. So they put out, from that session, Strawberry Fields Forever. Strawberry Fields Forever. And Penny Lane. But that was not on Sgt. Pepper. Hey. So they were not trying to make records to remote albums. It was a whole different concept, which is all part of why that song and that album was so groundbreaking for me and for so many people, is that they thought of two different art forms. One was the 45 on, uh, that you would hear on the AM radio, Penny Lane, and the other was this concept, a beginning, middle, and end, a journey, uh, and no one was doing it. I mean, the artwork on that record, there was no... It was a gatefold album that opened up. There were words on the back. There were stickers that came out when you opened the album. This was amazing for a 14-year-old and in 1967.
2: Do you remember, like, the exact first time that you
1: heard Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Uh, I went to uh, a friend's house. Uh, he had just bought the album. It was, uh, it was the summer of 67. You know, school had let out just a week or so before, my friend Alan... Uh, And we went, my friend Jimmy and I and Alan sat in a bedroom and listened to that record and it was just mind-blowing, it really was, I mean it's it's such a cliché to say it, it's so true. It's like, what was that? Was that a calliope? (laughs) Was that a, what is a sitar? You know, all of this stuff, you just, like, what are they doing here? And you just stare at the pictures. They look so different. There were, you know, four kids at, at you know, 22 when they came around. There were only 28 when they broke up, right? So at tw- it was 20, maybe 29, but at 27, they had mustaches and beards and weird clothing. And all of a sudden, there's this, like, completely new look, and it just changed people's concept of fashion. So much happened looking at that record. That record cover is a collage of both famous and made-up people, and you could stare at it forever, and it was fascinating. Absolutely wonderful.
2: So do you think then, do you feel like it opened yourself, like your mind, your young 14-year-old mind, up to this possibility of, like, the possibilities of what you can do with music and what you can do with art and what you can do with sound?
1: I'd say it's kind of like a flower, where... I'm looking at flowers, uh, because on one level, you hear this music and you go, OK, I've never heard anything like this before. And then when you start a deeper dive into it, like I listen to that record. Um, this is a, uh, both embarrassing and true. Uh, I listen to that record every single day for like seven or eight years. It what? would just be something, it was something I did. It was just something that I loved. Every time I got, I moved somewhere, it would be the first record I listened to. Every st- new stereo I got, it would be the new first record I listened to. No I'm a nerd. Uh, and, but I really loved it, and there was something about hearing it in different situations, on different speakers. I have the mono version, the stereo version, the British stereo version, the German stereo version. They're all slightly different mixes and sounds. The Japanese is the most beautiful of all. Um, I don't know. But anyway, this... The, the, the album's like a, a little flower where you first hear it and you go, wow, what is that? And then you just start this deeper dive into listening. You can do the word listening thing and try to pick apart what they're saying, what they're talking about. I mean, the song A Day in the Life is a complicated little song. It's sort of two songs in one. John Lennon writes a song uh, on acoustic guitar and he basically you know, says, I read the news today, oh boy. Uh, about a lucky man who made the great it 's about a, a, a guy who from a newspaper article uh, uh, the heir to the um, oh i can 't remember the f- uh, i 'll remember in a minute what f- uh, a, a very rich man <laughs> dies in a car and and basically it's a so- that part of the song is about the preciousness of life. I didn't catch that when I first listened to it, or the eighth time I listened to it, or maybe the 20th. But eventually, I started understanding what John was trying to say, how precious life was. And then there's Paul's part, Woke up, fell out of bed, dragged a comb across my head, which is nothing but a song about the mundane part of what life is. Woke up, fell out of bed, dragged a comb across my head. Found the way downstairs and drank a cup.
0: I was
1: And they connected these two completely disparate songs and put them together. And I don't know. I mean, you're an artist, I'm an artist. Make, make, You make stuff. You don't always know your intent, or at least I don't. I go down a path, and it unfolds, and sometimes its meaning comes to me later. I don't know whether the Beatles intended to put these two incredible, like, what life means and the power of life versus the, how mundane life can be together to make a song. But it happened, and certainly listening to, to it enough, you start to, it starts to unfold as to what that means. And it made me eventually come to appreciate both the mundane parts of, of what everyday life is, and I love that so much, and then also just the preciousness of it, which is, makes the mundane stuff actually pretty special. You know?
2: Yeah, that's a really beautiful understanding of it, and I can see like, is that an understanding that you kind of that evolved the older that you got? It totally I,
1: came over time, yeah. and that's what I mean by the flower when I was making the flower analogy, which is that uh, when something is really interesting to listen to, uh, and you can, all right, a little, it's a little much to say you listen to it every day of your life or eight, whatever many years. Um, but when you listen to something a number of times, uh, new things come to be. And when you're 14, the difference between being 14 and being 18 is like the difference between what the Beatles were when they were in 1964 to 1967. You know, the, the change that happens in people, in the way you think, in the way you approach life, and all that stuff. Everything means something different as you age. And those particular years are so precious.
2: So, um, so but you weren't playing music when you, when you were 14.
1: I was a late bloomer.
2: And you started playing music later in life, like in your, in your
1: 20s? 20, 26. Uh-huh. I, I, um, I had a guitar teacher when I was 14. I tried to play music, like every kid bought a guitar. And the music teacher told my mom I had no musical ability whatsoever, which was devastating for a, a kid, right? I mean, ah. you know, I love music. I spent... well, but, but
2: And it turns out you just hadn't found the right instrument.
1: I think that's probably what it was, because I, I my, my brain doesn't work well with... I can't think something and it come out on my fingers well. Uh, at the age of 26, um, I really wanted to make music, and I... I bought a synthesizer, quit my job, and joined a band. <laughs> and and it changed me forever uh, because synthesizer was all about like creating something that wasn't there before, just like the music that I loved. I, I knew I wasn't going to be a great guitar player. I loved too many great guitar players, so I, I had to find my own path, and ARP and Odyssey was my sort of path to.
2: And that was going to be my question, was that did you bring that same kind of desire to hear something new. Like when you started playing music, it sounds like that, like, oh, what is that sound? I've never heard that sound before. When you found the instrument then that could allow you to like turn some knobs and change the waveform and all of a sudden you're hearing something that you haven't heard before.
1: Yeah, no, that was so exciting. And I could listen to a guitar player and say, whoa, what would go along with that that would be nice? What texture? Ooh, the singer's singing this. How can I connect the singer with the guitar player? And it was just an amazing thing. And I didn't have to have dexterity. I didn't have to have craft even. I just had to have imagination and and the will to experiment.
2: And I think that's a beautiful thing about music when you realize that it is basically at its core, like it's all sound. Like if you're talking about like, you know technical prowess or people like being able to execute certain things on instruments right at the very basis of it all it's just like getting its sound and somehow emotion which i still don't understand how we like insert emotion into sounds but that's yeah, for another, that's another podcast <laughs> So you've done like a lot. You've done music, you've done television, you've done radio, and now, um, now you've written a book.
1: The thing I love most to do is I love to talk to people about the creative process. That's like A, number one. I find that the most fascinating thing on the planet. Some people like the creative process. It comes to them in a flash. They imagine the entire thing and everything from that point on, whether it's a piece of music or whatever, is all about execution. Some people, like myself, have no possible... I can't think of an idea until I start to have something tangible, like a sculptor chopping away, and then they start to see the eagle, and then they start to see the whatever, you know. I'm like that. I need something tangible, and I make it. Um, anyway, I love that process. And and um, the, the thing about talking to all these people, I think, that did change me is... is And I, I don't think I'll ever resolve this, but it's the idea of fate. Like, where does fate come into any of this. Like Jimmy Page tells a story of uh, he and his family moved into a new house and in that house in the closet was a guitar. It's like, okay, all right, so I mean, we might not have Led Zeppelin had that guitar knife been in that room. I mean, and that's baffling to me, right? But was so I don't know. I, but I think about that more than anything. And I think about the guitar teacher who told my mom I had no musical ability. And I think about what if I became a guitar player? I probably would have been a mediocre guitar player and not had this inventive, wonderful thing that happened later in my life, which I really dearly still love so much. It's weird. So, I don't yeah, is
2: it random happenstance or is it fate? It's like I, it's I, a... I love
1: thinking about it. I, yeah. Anybody with the answer here? <laughs> <laughs> But I'd like to think that you weren't. Maybe there's even a picture of you
0: standing right here. How can I deceive my readers? And below
2: me, you can hear this from Danger Painter's new record, Eight. The record that Bob Boylan made this past February, like the February strong. before he was about to release his book. And I have read that book. I've read Your Song Changed My Life. And it's a great read. He gets everyone from Jeff Tweedy to Jenny Lewis to St. Vincent to, like you said, Jimmy Page, talk about these transformational musical moments and explore how these moments affected their own creative lives. Sometimes he contextualizes the songs and experiences into the greater cultural context. And he also talks about his own musical journey. So yes, I'll post a link to his book as well as to his website where all the music he makes lives on the This Song page on the KUTX website. Plus, I found the only known video of Tiny Desk Unit on YouTube. So of course, I have to post that. And now I'm going to take a moment to ask that if you dug hearing Bob Boylan talk about the Beatles and books and fate, then please go to iTunes and subscribe to This Song. And while you're there, we would love a rating or a review. Like I've said before, it helps us with iTunes ratings and it helps us morale wise. We at Team This Song love making this podcast and we love knowing that people are actually listening to it and enjoying it. These ratings and reviews, they boy our spirits and we really appreciate them. Next up, Mobley. He's an Austin artist and singer and songwriter and producer who has this new EP out called Some Other Country. And I first saw him at the Austin Music Video Festival, where he debuted a video for a song he made called Swoon, and then he played the song, and all the good things happened when I watched him. I was intrigued and transported, and I felt it. Like, I really felt the music. And when he came into KUTX, he sat down and told me about a record that showed him how important emotion and vulnerability were, and how these were the things he wanted to get across with his own music. So here he is, Mobley.
0: There are lots that predate my career as a songwriter or as a performer, but in terms of one that I felt expanded the bounds of what I thought you could do with pop music and rock music, I think it would be uh, the record 808's and Heartbreak by Kanye West. So keep your love locked down, your love locked
1: down Keeping your love locked down, your love locked down Now keep your love locked down,
0: your love locked down Now keep your love locked down, you lose I think it, I think it was maybe the best pop record that came out that year It did things... Like you talk about singing, like he can't sing and it's all singing, you know what I mean? <laughs> and what makes it work is the emotion and the songcraft and the production. And I produce my stuff, so production is part of songwriting for me. Like when I hear a part, I hear it like panned or I hear it with reverb on it or whatever. So as a producer, as a producing songwriter, like sounds are really important. To to, to songcraft and uh so that yeah, that was really mind expanding for me. On lonely nights I start to fade. On lonely nights I
1: start to fade. Her loves a thousand miles away. Her love's a thousand miles away. Memories made in the
0: coldest winter. I felt like it was very different from everything else that was out i feel i felt like it was very different from his previous output um i think it presaged everything about where pop music is right now honestly um you know the kind of resurgence of like stark emotional vulnerability um enhanced by these like really lush soundscapes with lots of space and then the kind of emergence of hip hop hip hop production as like the default production mode for, for pop music. Um, yeah, I think it was just ahead of its time.
1: Memories made in the-
0: Called eight oh eight and heartbreak, heartbreak because the beats are all centered around eight oh eight beats.
2: Oh, um, which is like the very core bedrock of like yes. hip hop. Yeah, production. Right. Much. Yeah.
0: And so yeah, you have this guy known as a rapper who, and this was like. When I don't know, you, I'm sure you remember when auto tune like got really popular as a yeah, little share,
2: right. believe in life after love, but then also, <laughs> right. like, she, yeah, it, it made its way into everything, right? Yeah. Right,
0: and um, like conspicuous use of autotune, because it had been around for a while, like
2: as an effect, right? Exactly, yeah,
0: yeah, um, but yeah, so he just conspicuously was like, This is this is a tool that I'm going to use to make my non singer voice. Singerly enough that I can sing songs. Um,
2: Does he do that thing where they like? There's actually like weird auto tune runs. Like, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. 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 But uh, but it's also just so not polished in that way too. It's like you can hear how much he can't sing, but it enhances it just enhances the emotion of the of the the emotional content of the songs for for me
2: is, is it a heartbreak record is it like oh, a sad sad record it's very sad it's, sad
0: very, sad. <laughs> it's a very sad record i think it i think it was written on the heels of like him breaking up with his fiance or something like that honestly i don't know the story that yeah. well but um but it is definitely a heartbreak record
1: yeah people talk like it's own you and act like I already knew Let me ask you how long have you known dude? You played it off and act like he's brand new When you decide to break the rules Cause I just some real bad news
0: Regardless of, of how people feel about him as a, a rapper or a lyricist or a public figure or whatever, I don't know any music producer who I would take seriously who doesn't think he's a genius as a music producer. And um, so just, if, if only in that regard, you know, kind of the the tutelage of being and avid Kanye West production listener.
2: Do you think that it had an impact on what you were doing musically? Like, can you see kind of a before and after, like before I heard? Eight oh eight and heartbreak. I was do. I kind of thought of it this way, and then after I heard it, I thought, no.
0: I think it took me, honestly. I think it took me a few years to even like catch up with what it did to me. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I think on on the record that I finished at the beginning of this year was when kind of the lessons of that and some other things finally sunk in. You know, um, I was coming from a, a pretty firmly indie rock background and that world less so now, but at around the beginning of the twenty tens, that world was pretty steeped in irony. And uh and I think there's a way in which an emotional opening up also facilitates a musical opening up. So
2: now it's it's actually like like that Kanye thing, it's actually about being vulnerable and opening up and like right, right. getting to that point. And I love the idea that like an emotional openness leads to a, a musical openness because then if you're allowing yourself to be vulnerable emotionally then you can kind of that's a chance that you take i mean it's a big yeah it's a big thing to say how you actually feel and yeah. put it in a song and then play it for people once you've taken that chance it kind of allows you to take all these other chances
0: yeah they just seem if i'm if i if what i'm saying about is the things that are most important to me in the world then whether this keyboard line is corny or not, it becomes way less important, you know what I mean? And I wish I had the words to say to show you And I wish I knew way back where we
2: came Has that been a tough process for you to, like, get to go there? I mean... It can make one filled with anxiety.
0: Yeah. Well, so I guess to the point to the point of this record, it it's all coincided with I would say circumstances in the in the broader world conspired to force my hand in a lot of ways. The record, uh, the album is a is a concept album that deals with uh, race and anti-blackness in particular in America. And the kind of catalyst for uh, for more nakedly making that a part of my music was the Eric Garner um, grand jury decision, and so yes, and,
2: and everything was it specifically the Eric that Garner that was
0: that was the particular straw that broke the camel's back, um, and so yeah, I mean it's very. Laden with anxiety, but, but the stakes of a song are so low compared to the stakes of the thing that I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Right. Um, So my anxiety about it has little to do with the music.
2: So are the songs? Do they kind of go between like being very deeply personal and then kind of talking about larger issues, or are you talking about larger issues on a personal level?
0: So the the device that I use uh, throughout the entirety of the album is using a uh, a romantic relationship as a metaphor for my personal relationship as a black man with america as a state yeah um and so the songs can be like enjoyed as love songs on a relatively superficial level but if you choose to take a a, a deeper deeper or at least different reading of them then that's there too all alone again so lovely. The thing that the thing that moved me most is, I've I mean I'm I've been black my entire life. I've known that this is the way it is, but I've also known that either due to insufficient evidence or due to people's ability to cloister themselves apart from from that side of what America is, people have have to with with a certain degree of credibility been able to say either i don't see that or i don't know about that and that enables certain behaviors but now a man was strangled to death in broad daylight and then the video was running 24 hours a day for weeks and people are still saying that like that changes things yeah that is different and that that necessitates different behavior for me yeah. and that that was what the The kind of renaissance for me, um, that's where it found its genesis.
2: And so you kind of realized that it wasn't a woman you were writing these songs to, it was the country that you lived in, yeah, yeah, Yeah. wow. Well, thank
0: you so much. This is
2: really great. Thank Thank you. you. me, you can hear solo from Mobley's new EP, Some Other Country, which, by the way, he played every instrument on. He's one of those guys who like writes everything and produces everything and plays everything and sings everything. He's one of those guys I'm totally jealous of, and I just really enjoyed talking to him. This idea that he made a whole record where he deals with the black experience in America through what at first listen sounds like a heartache, Love Gone Wrong record, like, yes. Please, especially the part where he talked about the frustration he feels now more than ever when white people are aware of the injustices towards the black community and still aren't engaged in changing the system. Like I personally needed to hear that. Plus, I apparently personally needed to hear 808s and Heartbreak, which I had not heard before, because after talking to him, I just dove into that record. It made me feel like my heart was getting ripped out of my chest in a good way so thank you Mobley. I'll post a link to the video for Mobley's song Solo as well as for his song Swoon and of course I'll post a link to the new EP Some Other Country he's also on this intense tour right now like a new town every day in April kind of tour so I'll post a link to his tour dates so that you can see him when he comes to your town and that's it we have come to the end of another episode of this song. This song is a production of KUTX 98.9. The episode was produced and edited by John Parsons, David Sanger, and me. Rebecca McEnroy recorded the interview with Bob Boylan at South by Southwest. And thanks to South by Southwest for providing us with a space to record that interview. We actually recorded it in front of a live audience. I recorded the Mobley interview at KUTX. Antoinette Misando is our social media guru thanks to Peter Babb and Deidre Gott for all their help on the podcast and yes our theme song is Mahoot by Austin's own excellent hard proof Afro beat you can email us at this song at KUTX or follow us on Twitter Instagram or Snapchat our handle is this song you can follow us on Facebook and you can subscribe to this song along with the other KUTX podcasts liner notes song of the day and Austin Music Minute on iTunes and like I said We'd love a rating or a review. Right on. Thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you next time.